Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From No Crypto to No Crypto. I'm your host, the crypto coach, Blockchain Wayne. And today we're joined by Osman. Osman is with OmChain. We're going to find out more about OmChain. But first and foremost, Osman, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me here, Wayne. It is a great pleasure to be here. Yeah, great pleasure, man. We, we've uh, we've had been on calls and, and Twitter Spaces in the past. Uh, we got to meet in person recently in, in Istanbul at the Binance Blockchain Week. But uh, excited to have you on the podcast to share all the great things you're doing, man. And so before we jump into all the great things we're, you're doing now, tell everybody about your background, kind of what got you into this space. Uh, my story is actually uh, a little bit different than most of uh, the other people's stories out there. Um, I was actually a high school student in 2011, and then I had a client from another country. Uh, I am based in Turkey. Uh, they were from Europe, and they asked me if I could set up some servers for them. I didn't actually think about how they were going to pay me. I was trying to get the job, and once the job was finished, uh, I didn't have any way of receiving payments because I was not 18 years old. I didn't have a bank account. Credit cards were not as common uh, in Turkey uh at the time so i didn't have any option and i started googling like how to receive money online and then you go to some different websites you have paypal you have different services but all of them require you to be at least you know 18 years old and then kyc etc one of the websites said that you know bonus like if none of the options fit you there is this bitcoin and i started reading more about bitcoin and realized that it's actually something that solves my problem and then when I saw that initial money in my uh, Bitcoin Core wallet, I realized that, okay, if this solved my problem, I know and believe that there are a lot of other people in the world who has this certain specific problem and this technology could solve that. Later on, there were like different forks of Bitcoin, privacy coins, and then, you know, EVM got launched. At the time, I was a college student and I was still, you know, mining cryptocurrency. I had a small mining farm. And then I contributed as a you know, community member to some privacy coins, etc. And then I ended up uh, with my programming skills, I ended up being a freelance smart contract developer. And later on, when the COVID started, uh, I realized it was time that I start my own uh, blockchain infrastructure for the clients I have and the network I have. And then uh, it brings us uh, to today, I think. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and so you're, you're in Turkey. I mean, Turkey has seen um a great deal of adoption or at least they seem to be more open to cryptocurrency a majority of uh residents in in turkey at least hold some cryptocurrency is that is that correct yeah i think right now it is estimated that at least 50 percent of the citizens of the entire country so it's more than 80 million people right now uh the entire population and at least 40 million of them knows what is bitcoin and at least 15 million people either already have or they had uh, some cryptocurrency in the past. So I think the adoption here is massive. Even, you know, for my uncles, my grandparents, you know, my cousins, it's, so it's not even specific to me, but anyone you, may, you meet in Turkey, they most certainly have heard about cryptocurrencies. If you were, you know, on a cab ride in Istanbul, you might have maybe seen cab riders even, you know, look at their phone screen for uh, crypto prices, etc. So it's it's a really common thing in Turkey. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I did see that in Turkey. And I also saw when I went to Grand Bazaar, I mean, there were some of the currency exchanges and gold exchanges also accepted or, or they also dealt with Bitcoin. There was Bitcoin and other crypto logos on their shops. 
So it's not something you see everywhere, but uh, definitely uh, good to see. Yeah, I think the main reason why we have it is uh, Turkish people would like to risk their money in order to have higher returns, but it's not specific to, you know, this attitude of, you know, risking their money because we have high inflation and it's not just something that's recently happened. If you look at the history, you would see that the high inflation was always a problem. So when your national currency has high inflation, then you're like, rather than having this money melt in my bank account, I am willing to take the risk and, you know, buy a foreign currency or buy some stocks or buy a crypto asset. So you are already at a high risk, you know, currency and anything that, you know, other than your own currency seems like a lower risk to you, which could uh, be a different case for uh, the other people. Uh, also, what I have realized is when I was in the U.S. Uh, a few years ago, I realized that the banking system in Turkey is much more better than the one in the U.S. And then I started asking myself the question, like, why is it that way? And I realized, you know, in Turkey, if I am trying to send money to someone and if it doesn't arrive uh, within the next five minutes, I start to panic or, you know, the people start to panic because they think that there might be something wrong or something happened to the money, etc. Whereas in U.S. you have this, you know, powerful presence of the U.S. dollar and the, you know, maybe regulations, etc. You know that your money is uh, going to arrive there eventually. So people are, you know, uh, more relaxed. I think this is uh, one of the reasons why we have uh, this high crypto adoption in Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, all, it basically all comes down to trust, right? Uh, yeah, I th- and I think you know you talk about high inflation, and even the banks. And I've been I've been talking about this for the last few years in the U.S. That I think uh, you know everybody needs to pay attention because high inflation, banking problems. That's not just that's not just uh, specific to certain countries. That's it's it's coming to a country near you very soon, right? <laughs> I tell people yeah. all the time. That's you know we're starting to see that here. Um, we haven't seen hyperinflation like in Turkey with the Turkish lira, but it, it has been accelerating here and elsewhere as well. And that's when you're right. People that save money in a bank, they feel like they're losing money because their value is deteriorating. Like the purchasing power is deteriorating. So it almost forces you to be okay. Where can I put this? Where can I invest this? Where can I maybe put some risk? Because I know it's happening if I leave it there. So it definitely makes sense. It definitely creates that mindset of. Um, people looking for where they can potentially grow the value of their money instead of lose. Exactly. And when I look at the, you know, uh, financial things or, you know, the national currencies of the countries, I also see the, um, how do I say, the national mindset maybe uh, for that country or for that specific currency. Once you have this history of high inflation, it's not so easy. Even if the government tries their best to, you know, protect the national currency, People are, uh, it is, I think, similar with some of the cryptocurrencies out there, right? Like a few times if you have this crash on that token, the next time you are investing into that token, you would be suspicious about any news, etc. I mean, you know that recently Binance had some problems and people immediately were, uh, you know, cautious about Binance because they had this experience of FTX a few uh, few years ago, last year actually. So because of that, uh, whatever you do, you have, it, it takes some time to change this mindset. And I, actually, I think this is where we are uh, trying to play a, you know, key role uh, with the blockchain technology in Turkey. 
because usually we can provide the transparency that couldn't be provided by uh, Web2 applications. And then we can provide the interoperability layer. And if the government agencies or the, you know, uh, large players, uh, large institutional players in Turkey would like to integrate those more transparent solutions, then we have the chance to tell people that, hey, look, there is nothing you should be worried about. You can go to this blockchain and you can see this transaction. You can see these records here and you can make sure that they're mutable and no one's going to change them. So I think uh, our technology, our infrastructure, uh, and not specifically on chain as well, like any other uh, you know, reliable blockchain plays a vital role here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can help restore that trust that I was talking about in those systems. You're absolutely right. So Osman, as we, as we move along, let, let's, Tell everybody what you're doing with Omchain and, and uh, you know, we had a great conversation in Istanbul. Uh, what was that last week? Week before last? Yeah. Uh, time's definitely flying. But uh, tell everybody what you're doing with Omchain and, and some of the things that you're building there. Mm -hmm. So Omchain is actually an EVM compatible layer one infrastructure. So any smart contract or any tool that you have for Ethereum, Polygon, you know, Binance Smart Chain, etc., you can uh, use those tools and those technologies and software on the on-chain infrastructure as well. Uh, but uh, we are a proof of authority blockchain, meaning that uh, as a team, we are making sure that the blockchain runs smoothly, uh, thus eliminating the problems of having front-run uh, transactions or, you know, uh, blockchain reorgs, etc. For those reasons, actually, we had uh, partnered up with the municipality of Istanbul recently to issue... Uh, more than 15 million digital IDs for the uh, citizens of Istanbul. Uh, they weren't able to rely on a other public blockchain because you wouldn't be willing to risk uh, your infrastructure by integrating to uh, another infrastructure that might have, you know, validator-related risk, miner-related risks, or, you know, developer-related risks, etc. And they decided to uh, move on with uh, the on-chain infrastructure. So at the moment, we are building a W3C uh, DID standard compliant DID solution for the municipality of Istanbul. And we are hoping to release this protocol soon with the rest of the world so that it could be uh, one of the options, one of the standards out there. And other DID providers can also uh, integrate with this uh, infrastructure. So this is our main focus right now to onboard uh, a few million users to uh, our infrastructure and get them started using blockchain technology that's great so just through you know through that process they'll have they'll get used to having a wallet having assets in the wallet including an id um and that's really good because that's gonna really just accelerate adoption right mm -hmm. i think the main the main problem here at the existing systems is once you download a wallet from you know the app store google play store etc once you download the application because for in order to make the end users, uh, you know, own their private key or own their asset and make it in a secure way, the app forces you to, you know, uh, record your seed phrases. They keep sending you notifications, and the UI and the user experience is designed for a cryptocurrency wallet. So it's not actually a blockchain wallet that is designed to sign things. It's not actually a blockchain wallet to see what are the signatures that you have, you know, proven in the past, etc. It only, usually most of them only show the cryptocurrencies you have and then your token balances, historical transactions, etc. 
So our main uh, point of view here is that we can utilize this technology, this blockchain infrastructure, this technology, and make people have cryptocurrency or blockchain wallets without them realizing that they actually own wallets. So you don't necessarily, this is this is also the thing that you guys are building with Diffio. So I don't necessarily have to know that Wayne has a wallet address that is like 0x, A, B, C, D, something. I would just want to send, you know, some tokens to Wayne at Fio. That's it. Right. So I know that Wayne works for Fio and I know Wayne. So it should be that simple. It should be that easy. So this is our uh, main takeaway. And this is one of the main uh, things that we are pushing right now. Make people be integrated to blockchain without them even realizing that, uh, you know, it's, it's blockchain. I think this is much better uh, UX than most of the other applications out there. Yeah, absolutely, man. Look, I, I've talked about uh, crypto adoption for years. And one of the things I've told people time and time again is that for us to get any meaningful adoption, there needs to be interfaces that are simple where people are using the technology and don't even realize they're using it. They don't realize that it's blockchain backing that technology. They don't realize that they actually have a wallet. To them, they just have an, you know, an account that shows a balance or shows assets or shows you know anything else that may be in there. You're right, signatures, history. Um, people don't care that it's blockchain. I mean, you and I do, uh, those building in the space do, but I think most people that, that are going to use it, they just want to know, is it work? Is it easy to use? Is it simple? Can I trust it? I think the main problem here is we have this, uh, you know, innovation out there and we are trying to push this innovation to people without even actually, you know, asking them whether they want it or not. So I could be going out and saying, Hey, I have invented a better vehicle that is, you know, going to be transporting you faster in a more safe way, etc. But then that person might simply say that, hey, this car is a gift from my father or my mother, and I just, you know, want to drive that car. So it's not actually, we're not actually helping this person by offering a better uh, solution or alternative solution if it's not their need. So I think this is uh, one of the problems here. But even to simplify this problem, what we are aiming right now is, as I mentioned, make people use this technology. And for those who wish to know more about the details and learn more about the you know, specifics or even go see the proof, etc., all the records on the blockchain, they can do so. So we want this functionality to be available to the citizens or people who wish to see and verify. But for other users, they don't necessarily have to know much about it. It's uh, similar with the HTTPS uh, secure browsing right now. So you don't even check if it's, you know, HTTPS, if it's HTTP, but if you go to an HTTP website, your browser just shows some, you know, gray icon says that your connection is not secure. That's, that's only it. It doesn't tell you if it's, you know, if, uh, not encrypted in some, you know, a complex cryptographic, uh, signatures etc it just tells you that it's not secure you should upgrade to https and if the https website is broken it just tells you that it doesn't work there are probably some issues if you want to continue you can continue so i think it should be that simple so the technology have the technology there but make it so simple that people are not willing to be you know uh still staying on the old version yeah you know that, that's a great example it's almost the same concept i tell people you don't, you don't need to understand how a, how a, a, a gas combustion engine works to operate a vehicle, right? You just need to know how to operate it. You don't need to know all the intricate details of how everything works. 
You just need to know how to drive it. And it's the same thing with this. They don't need to know all the different aspects of that tech. Uh, they just need to know that it works. Um, now, I do, I do want to lead into a different question because you've been working closely with Turkish government. There's obviously a lot of people that came into this space earlier, and there's a lot still joining that have a lot of maybe, say, lack of trust or, or they think crypto should be separate from government. And obviously that's going to that's gonna create um, some friction to adoption. So obviously working with government <laughs> officials there to come up with a plan to show them how this solves problems. How has that process been for you? Did you have to do a lot of educating, uh, a lot of lot of talks to, to mm -hmm. basically get them to understand what you were wanting to do? So I think the main problem or main question here is uh, most of the people, I in my, in my personal opinion, most of the people I think first should be asking the question like, why do we have, you know, governments? Why do we have different countries? Why do we have, you know, different states, etc.? The answer is actually very simple. In the past, you know, we didn't have them and we realized that we can't live like this anymore. So we came up together. We had this, you know, social construct. We made a, you know, legally binding agreement as the citizens of this nation. And we decided that citizenship should be passing, you know, by birth, etc. Many different other uh, laws. And we set the rules to live together. And the people who are working for governments or people who are, you know, in charge of making those decisions or making those changes, they are actually not, uh, you know, coming from another uh, background. They are also citizens of this country. So they also have their kids. They also have their, uh, you know, parents and partners uh, and other relatives uh, living in that country. So, of course, it's only rational that they also would like to, you know, allow innovation and they also would like to, you know, uh, adopt with technologies like blockchain and tokens and NFTs and, uh, you know, all sorts of innovative technologies. But the main problem here is, so if, if we're specifically talking about a government here, people usually think or, you know, say that the government is trying to block the innovation for blockchain. But then I ask the question, why the governments are not stopping AI? Why the governments are not stopping, you know, mobile devices? Why they're not stopping the development of, you know, rocket science or the internet infrastructure? So it's not specific that it's not specifically there against the innovation, but they're against the technology which they don't either completely understand or which they don't completely understand what's the benefit from this technology to the citizens. And they're usually seeing the, you know, harmful examples, even with the Binance's case of, uh, yesterday, they only see what are the problems. So in our specific case, we went out there and we explained the existing infrastructure. We explained how our solution is solving, what type of problems or which problems and then how we explained that there are no other alternatives than the blockchain technology. Then they realized if you are also technically looking at it, blockchain is actually a database solution. It just works different than regular databases. So once it's taken that way, and if that database solution is much better than the others out there, then there is nothing stopping them from using that. And uh, for that reason, we didn't have any resistance in terms of adopting blockchain technologies. But of course, when it comes to cryptocurrencies, because they offer some monetary value and most of the nations out there are trying to protect their own national currency, because again, it is, uh, you know, representing that nations purchase power. 
they are of course uh, a bit conservative about the crypto assets and it's i think not just specific to turkey but all the other countries out there yeah i mean we're seeing it the, the u.s has been the global reserve or the u.s dollar has been the global reserve currency so the u.s feels threatened from the currency aspect i feel um and i think i mean you brought up a great point uh being able to show the problems that solved for them because i think a big problem globally right now is a lot of people have some some mistrust or not saying they don't trust their government uh completely but there's certain elements that they don't trust and there's been instances where power left unchecked can can lead people to become corrupt um and take advantage of their office their position and actually this technology can create a lot of transparency in that restore some of that trust so it's really up to us to educate others i think back and i i was recently at a meeting uh in in a city near my i'm right outside of new orleans and i was talking to a state senator and it, it became really clear i was like hey we need to set up some sessions so we can educate you on this because certain laws are starting to be proposed you're wanting to figure out how to protect people and without stifling this innovation but you don't really understand how it works so how can you how can you really govern how that works that's like you know it's like um you know i mean there's so many different industries you can understand but there's that's it, so many problems when people try to regulate an industry they don't even understand um the intricacies of it and you need people that are building in this space like yourself in istanbul myself and others to be able to show people that this is really what this is <laughs> i think i think you're 100 right and i think one of the problems is that we have politicians usually coming from either uh, a background of you know being in the legal industry or you know some financial industry etc so they are the ones who are you know making decisions for the society yeah. but they don't understand much from the technological uh, standpoint they don't understand the technology behind the blockchain uh, that we have right now so then you would have to you and then you have another technical person who understands this product but they don't have the power to make a decision to implement blockchain so this is i think one of the challenges out there right now that uh we have luckily you know managed to solve this problem but i think this is one of the biggest problems out there right now that should be solved or at least you know uh somehow navigated uh but on the other hand, if you actually go and talk with the people who are in charge of technical stuff, when you offer them this blockchain solution, they immediately say, especially for our uh, DID solution, they immediately say that we have been trying to do this so far, but we didn't know much about the blockchain technology. And we now realize that this is the missing piece that we have. Because even not just specific to our DID, if you actually think about it, at the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned that our infrastructure is EVM compatible. So any other smart contract or application or wallet solution works on our infrastructure as well. There is, I believe, no other technology other than email and the actual internet protocol out there that provides this much interoperability. Because right now I have the chance to write a smart contract and once written, it is going to be valid and it could be accessible by maybe more than 20 million, maybe more than 50 million wallet uh, devices or 50 million users out there. So my product is instantly available to all those users. And if you come up with a solution and if I have a wallet, then I can also start using your uh, protocol. Or if you come up with another chain that I can immediately integrate my solution to that, 
different network without worrying too much about uh, integration costs. So our DID is actually solving this problem. So you don't have to go integrate with Google, Apple, Facebook, you know, Reddit, all sorts of different uh, ID providers. You just have to provide the functionality to uh, read and listen data that is being uh, recorded to blockchain. And you would only have to uh, implement cryptographic signature verification codes into your uh, existing system. Once you have done that, no matter which blockchain this DID protocol is running, no matter who is issuing the DIDs, you have a valid, uh, you know, authentication and authorization uh, software working for your uh, product and platform. So this is uh, some of the things I think uh, us technical people or like us people from the blockchain industry should go out and talk more about with the you know people who are in charge of making decisions. Because to the end user, either it's a Google button or it's a you know Apple button, it's it's not their actual main concern. But the person who is integrating those different ID solutions, it's a main concern because now they have to spend two months integrating ten different ID providers. All right. Right. You know, you hit the nail on the head. I was actually about to say that we need more people doing like you're doing, um, getting out there, because if we want to move this space forward, we've got to, um, you know, we've got to do what you're doing. You know, talk to people that are making the rules and regulations, educate them on how this can solve their problem. That really it's no different than any other business meeting. Right. If I had a product that I want people to use, I'm not going to give you uh, this whole list of all the technical specifications of that product. I'm going to, I'm going to want to resonate with the why, why do you want to use this? What problems does this solve for you? What problems does it solve for people? And that that's really uh, what more people need to do. So, I mean, just Istanbul alone, right? Being able to bring on 15 million plus people on board, what project wouldn't want to be able to onboard a bunch of people? And guess what? How big is the world? How many cities are there out there? How many people need this? I don't, I think everybody that's breathing needs to uh, understand and utilize this tech, right? And not just specific to people as well. Once we started developing this infrastructure, one of the largest electrical uh, IoT devices manufacturer also came to us and said that we have a problem of our IoT de devices uh, getting hacked. So we have to identify our IoT de devices. So if there are like 8 billion people living in the world right now, I believe there are more, th more than 80 billion iot devices uh if if not if not right now but maybe in the future because you have traffic lights you have your uh you know fridge at your house you have your smart tv you have your uh i don't know google or uh, amazon alexa you know assistant at home uh and all sorts of stuff so it's not okay. just specific problem of an individual but also the devices as well i think <laughs> if we talk more about these products then the decision makers will realize the potential of this blockchain technology and say that, okay, come and solve our problems. Because otherwise, if you're not solving uh, any problems, it's just going to be sounding like, okay, this is a technology, but we don't understand the benefit. And because we don't understand the benefit, there is no reason for us to, you know, uh, push this technology forward. So we have to show them the benefit. Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned, I was thinking about that in my head as you were talking about all those devices. Um, cause I did it recently where I was looking at how many devices are connected to my internet, my Wi-Fi at the house. And it's 27, 27 devices <laughs> between TVs, computers, light bulbs, cameras. I mean, my refrigerator, you're right. My refrigerator yeah. is actually connected. Um, so yeah, I mean that there's, um, yeah, that, that having better infrastructure to manage those devices, protect those devices. Um, and there's even going to be a point where, 
Um, I, I see these devices are getting smarter to where, you know, maybe they can, uh, my refrigerator can help secure some chain somewhere and earn certain revenue that helps pay for the water filter whenever it needs it. It can just order it with that currency it's earned. Um, it's good. It's, it's good. It, yeah. yeah, it could definitely do that because if if we actually think about it, you know, with the Bitcoin, we realize that we should have self-custody on our financial assets, right? And the main question here is when we're asking this question to ourselves with our financial assets, why don't we ask the same question with the identities we have? So how do we actually own the our identities? So this is uh, one of the problems that uh, we are providing a solution for right now. And hopefully in the future, uh, we believe that there will be uh, many more million users uh, that are using our infrastructure and solution. Awesome. Absolutely. So Osman, as we wrap up, man, can you tell everybody where they can find out more about what you're doing uh, in the space, find out more about Omchain? Right. So if they can go to Twitter, uh, I think now it's called X. So if you yeah. go to, yeah, X, formerly Twitter, uh, and just type Omchain.io, you are going to be seeing our Twitter account with some, uh, you know, blue logo that is actually more or less similar to the color of my T-shirt. Um, and then if they go to the omchain.io website, they can also read and learn more about our uh, infrastructure. And finally, if they can go to docs.omchain.io, they can read the documentation that we have uh, and any technical information that they wish to learn. Awesome. Awesome. It's been great. It's been a pleasure having you on today. I definitely hope more people take this to heart, especially if they're working in this space, to take the time to reach out and educate others on, on especially those that are in a position to make rules, make regulations, um, you know, governments that can utilize this technology because every, every little bit of that is going to foster adoption. That's going to spread like wildfire. If we had, you know, just 15 people doing what you're doing in different countries, uh, we'd see a, you know, massive rise in adoption of cryptocurrency. More people would start to dig in and start to understand decentralized systems, blockchain, and how this is more than just a currency play. It's not just about money. It's not just about investment. Um, it can really solve some some world problems. So, uh, thank you know, thanks for joining us today. Any any final words before we part? Um, I think my final words would be: uh, do not. We shouldn't limit the blockchain technology to just to the cryptocurrencies, just like you mentioned, because it's a database solution. It's similar to how our phones first got invented. So they were there to make phone calls to people. But right now we are doing much more than making phone calls and we don't even actually make phone calls anymore as much as, you know, we used to do in the past. We now send, you know, text messages. We now use iMessage. We have, you know, WhatsApp, we have Telegram, we have social media, we have, you know, YouTube, all other different solutions out there. So just because we have a telephone right now that makes phone calls, meaning that we have, you know, blockchain that comes with cryptocurrencies doesn't mean that it is going to be limited uh, with the cryptocurrencies. So focus uh, more on building, uh, you know, different and innovative products on blockchain that actually solve problems uh, of other people. And then I believe the actual adoption uh, would come and we can onboard uh, more and more people. Yeah, absolutely. So Osman, thanks again for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on. And thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Take care, everyone.